Hello. This is required viewing. So I watched a movie last night. You watched things? Yeah. Yeah, I watch other things. Okay. That you Which is hard to believe. You we think, watch a lot of content. You think we would get sick of it, but uh, no. No. Definitely not. There's no shortage of shit to watch, and they're still coming out with new stuff. The movie we watched last night was Barbarian. Oh, how was that? It was fucking, fucking so good. It was so good. It was scary. Like, I was cringing. I was, like, wiggling around. I've heard... I've actually heard some mixed reviews, so... I it, it is made, on my list though. It made the boyfriend shout bitch at the TV. Which is pre- <laughs> which you okay. know him. That's pretty uh That's fun. Okay. <laughs> because it was frustrating. Uh it's got Georgina Campbell and who I don't she looks kind of fr- she oh, she was in Black Mirror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some other shit I don't recognize. And Bill Skarsgård, yep, and Justin Long, which was love it, hilariously placed. Yes, and that's kind of all the people you'd more or less recognize. What Kate Bosworth is in this? I don't sure, remember I that. Don't Anywho, it deals with some interesting subject matter. Also, it's fucking terrifying okay cool i will definitely watch it yeah. it was on my list zach krieger i haven't gotten to it yet but now i have a little bit more enthusiasm going into it so zach krieger is one of the guys from the whitest kids you know okay 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 and apparently we were joking that apparently it's the thing to do now is go from sketch comedy to horror film directing yeah that makes sense jordan peele yeah now zach krieger yeah that's so fucking funny Right? But you're right. Holy shit. But Speaking I almost of... didn't recognize Bill Skarsgård. And I was like, I know those freaky ass eyeballs. Like, they're really freaky. And if you can believe it, they got bulged out. But it was. Yeah. Uh, even more? Yeah. When he gets. When That's he gets a lot. Scared. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I'm but excited. You know, you know that thing that he does with his eyes that in it. That's really him. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've seen the motion capture footage they used. He's insane. <laughs> He's, He's a, a crazy guard. fucking face. He's a scars guard. There's some crazy shit that happens in the movies we watch today, too. For sure. I'm really excited to get into it. Are you ready? I'm ready to get into it. Well, welcome back to the Require Viewing Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Chloe. Today, we hit the end of our History of Halloween series. What? I know. It's been kind of a crazy ride. How do you feel about all these Halloween movies that we've watched so far? I've really enjoyed all of the movies that you've been recommending. I'm pretty good at this. Uh, You're like, yeah, I this <laughs> I'm kind of good at this. Uh, I like movies. I like Halloween movies. Um, we're finishing things off with the devil himself. And three of the most epic representations of him on film that we have to date We've got mentions of the devil already this year. Back during our Roman Polanski episode, we watched both Rosemary's Baby and The Ninth Gate, Mm -hmm. both having the devil as a central protagonist. The devil. 
So up today, we have The Exorcist, The Omen, and Prince of Darkness. Bringing it back to John Carpenter. Yeah. Well, you can't really get away from John Carpenter in spooky Ever. season. No. He's like the king of spooky. <laughs> I've tried to put him in as many episodes as I possibly can. <laughs> Someone might be biased. Speaking of which, did you know that Britt Eklund, who is in The Wicker Man, when I was talking about who is dancing around naked, and blonde she was in uh, a bond girl i did know that i was like why does she look familiar yeah i did know that mm-hmm. she's what midnight i think good night she's good night yes yes man i love all these movies it was a blast to watch through them i'm glad that this was like this was the first watch for you for all of them all of them yes that's amazing to me <laughs> That's 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 a gem. I love showing people things for the first time. And I was anxious, let's say, to watch the first one because I, I was I told you sh- hesitant, you shouldn't be. hesitant. But I also did not watch it by myself in the dark, so that was probably or in the bath. Yeah. <laughs> there was or no in fucking, the bath. there was no fucking way I was going to watch yeah. that in the bath any of them. Yeah, yeah, you made it through. It was not as bad as you thought. I made it through. Okay, so I'm gonna pose. You know, I made it through. <laughs> I'm gonna pose a hypothetical question to keep yeah. in the back of our minds during this last episode. Does making a film about a supernatural subject, i.e., the devil, does that conjure the subject matter itself, or is life just a weird? hodgepodge of coincidences that's a good question yeah so just i'm where i'm gonna leave that there we're just gonna leave that in the air just ruminate on it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're gonna let it stew continue with our anthropological dive into the devil and where we've seen him basically i mean let's be honest here the devil comes from what we know as the devil or tuckle Lucifer, Beelzebub, Tucker Carlson. I haven't heard that one. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes from Christianity. It's an entity in Abrahamic religions that seduces humans into sin or falsehood. In Judaism, Satan is seen as an agent subservient to God, typically regarded as a metaphor for the Yatsuhara or evil inclination in christianity and islam he's usually seen as a fallen angel or a jinn who has rebelled against god who nevertheless allows him temporary power over the fallen world and a host of demons in the quran shatan i don't know if that's how that's pronounced but it seems pretty correct i like i like that Um, Also known as Iblis is an entity made of fire who is cast out of heaven because he refused to bow before the newly created Adam and incites humans to sin by infecting their minds with wasas or evil suggestions. A fire known as Ha-Satan or the Satan first appears in the Hebrew Bible as a heavenly prosecutor subordinate to the Yahweh, God, who prosecutes the nation of Judah 
in the heavenly court and tests the loyalty of Yahweh's followers. During the intersentimental period, possibly due to influence from Zyroastrian figure of, holy fuck, <laughs> Agumara? Sure, That's we're going to go right. with that. This uh, The Satan developed into a malevolent entity with abhorrent qualities in dualistic opposition to God. In the apophrical book, the Book of Jubilees, Yahweh grants the Satan referred to as Mastema, authority over a group of fallen angels or their offspring to tempt humans into sin and punish them. Although the book of Genesis does not mention him, Christians often identify the serpent in the Garden of Eden as Satan. In the symbolic gospel, Satan tempts Jesus in the desert and is identified as the cause of illness and temptation. In the book of Revelation, Satan appears as a great red dragon who was defeated by Michael the archangel and cast down from heaven. Side note, he can definitely put... Uh, like cut this out if he wants, but that's uh, the Archangel Michael is <laughs> my Michael's namesake. Oh yeah, that's a lot of Michael's namesakes. I mean, Catholic. My yep. brother's name is Michael. Yep, definitely. He is later bound for one thousand years, but is briefly set free before you, before being ultimately defeated and cast into the lake of fire. In the Middle Ages, Satan played a minimal role in Christianity. Satan played a minimal role in Christian theology and was used as a comic relief figure in the mystery plays. So if you think uh, at one point in time in theater history, there wasn't really much theater going on outside of Christian theological tales. Okay. And so to entertain the people and not keep it doom and gloom, which we think of as kind of funny because we think of like puritanical Christianity, but they used Satan as like a wah wah sort of like comedy <laughs> foil. Okay. Kind of. Does that make a little bit yeah. more sense? During the early modern period, Satan's significance greatly increased as beliefs as such demonic possession and witchcraft becomes more prevalent. Again, during that puritanical age, during the age of enlightenment, belief in the existence of Satan was harshly criticized by thinkers such as Voltaire. Nonetheless, belief in Satan has persisted, particularly in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Although Satan is generally viewed as evil, some groups have very different beliefs. In theistic Satanism, or like what we consider the Satanic Temple, okay, Satan is considered a deity who is either worshipped or revered. Levian Satanism is more magic. That's like a more magical group. That's your like witchcraft, okay, kind of camp versus religious camp. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Without going into the history of different magics, we have like Anton LaVey versus uh, Aleister Crowley. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a whole thing. I'm not okay. going to go in there. We're not going to do that. That's a, that's a different podcast entirely. <laughs> Satan is a symbol of virtuous characteristics and liberty. Again, in witchcraft, he's a deity. 
mm-hmm. of a different level. Okay. So Satan's appearance is never described in the Bible, but since the ninth century, he has often been shown in Christian art with horns, cloven hooves, usually hairy legs, a tail, a tail, and often naked, holding a pitchfork. He's naked. Naked. Nudity is supposed to be like bad. Well, uh, well especially in p- puritanical times, exactly. that was it was a it was a bad thing. You should be ashamed of your body. Hide everything. From head to toe. But then here comes this hairy leg mofo who's just letting it all hang out. So these are an amalgam of traits derived from various pagan deities. Paganism, which we talked heavily about during our Halloween special, Mm -hmm. including Pan, Poseidon, and Bay. Satan appears frequently in Christianity. frequently in Christian literature, most notably in Dante's Inferno, all variants of the classic Faust story, John Milton's Paradise Lost, Paradise Regained, and the poems of William Blake. In reference to the film and television industry, the devil is depicted as a vampire bat in George Melee's The Haunted Castle in 1896, which is often considered the first horror film. So-called black masses, quote-unquote, have been portrayed in sensationalist B-movies since the 60s. A lot of Hammer films. Um, one of the first films to portray... MC Hammer films? <laughs> no. No. We're going to do a Hammer Halloween one of these years. It's going to happen. It's not going to... We might have like an MC Hammer intro. That would be super fun. It has nothing to do with the movies. That's just because we like NC Hammer. <laughs> one of the first films to portray such a ritual was the 1965 film Eye of the Devil, also known as 13. Alex Sanders, a former black magician, served as a consultant on the film to ensure that the rituals portrayed in it were depicted accurately. Over the next 30 years, the novels of Dennis Whitley and the films of the Hammer Film Productions both played major roles in shaping the popular image of Satanism. The film version of Ira Levin's Rosemary's Baby established and made satanic themes a staple of mainstream horror fiction. Later films such as The Exorcist, The Omen, Angel Heart, and The Devil's Advocate feature Satan as the antagonist. And that's what we got. We got without going into more like Jesusy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's categorized. That's as... Satan in a nutshell. Satan in a nutshell. That sounds like a good album cover for the band. What what did you call it? It was Evil Innocent. Not Evil Innocent. Evil. What now? It was towards the top of what you were talking about. It was. Should have wrote it down, but it would have made a great... evil inclinations. Yes, that would have made a great band name. Oh, that is a great... evil inclinations first album. Oh shit, Satan in a nutshell. That's a real. Oh yes, <laughs> I... print. Send it off to the record label. It's perfect. Are you ready to get into these movies? You got any questions about the devil, the big D? Well, I think the questions are always easier. Within context Perfect. of an example of the movie. Well, let's dive into The Exorcist. So we'll save the questions for the end. For sure. Yes. 
This movie is interesting. This movie starts in a lot of places that you don't expect it to start, and it goes in a lot of places that you don't expect it to go. It's a crazy journey. We start in northern Iraq. Catholic priest Lankster Marin. Yeah, his Quite name's, the name. His name's... That's why they just call him father the whole fucking time. It's easier to say. <laughs> Participates in an archaeological dig, which unearths a medallion of St. Joseph and an artifact representing Pazuzu, an ancient demon. I'm going to say that again just because I like to say Pazuzu. <laughs> Wait, Pazuzu? Yeah, it's Pazuzu. Okay. Participates in an archaeological dig, which unearths a medallion of St. Joseph and an artifact representing Pazuzu, an ancient demon. As Mirren prepares to leave Iraq, he encounters a large statue of Pazuzu and observes two dogs fighting in the desert. You remind me at the why we should give a shit section to talk about the large statue of Pazuzu again. Okay. Because I have issue with it. In Georgetown, actress Chris McNeil works on a film directed by her friend Burke Dennings. For the duration of the filming, Chris lives in a well-appointed house with her daughter Reagan and two servants, Carl and Willie. Her personal assistant, Sharon Spencer, spends a great deal of time at the house as well. Georgetown-based priest Damien Karras visits his elderly Greek immigrant immigrant mother, Demi, Demi, in New York. He confines to a colleague that he feels unfit in his role as a counselor to other priests, citing a crisis of faith. Chris hears a noise in the attic, and Reagan tells her of an imaginary friend named Captain Howdy. I always thought that name was really fucking stupid. Well, back in those days, whatever. It was more prevalent. Well, whatever. It's still a stupid name. In a local church, a statue of Mary is found. It's also 12. I was coming up with more creative names at 12. I'm judging. <laughs> this statue of Mary has been found desecrated. Chris hosts a party like actresses do. Karis's friend Father Dyer, a guest at the party, explains to Karis's explains Karis's role as a counselor, mentioning that Karis's mother died recently. Reagan then appears out of nowhere and urinates on the carpet in front of all the party guests. After Chris puts Reagan to bed, and her bed starts to shake violently out of nowhere. Dyer consoles Karis, and Karis expresses guilt at not having been with his mother when she died. He's very wrapped up in this. He should have mm -hmm. taken a moment to grieve, you know what I mean? Yeah. He very much just... As a counselor, shouldn't that be his own recommendation to himself? I feel like counselors at the are the worst, and therapists are the, at the worst at taking their own advice. Oh, yeah, of course. Not every chef wants to come home and cook. Exactly. Karis dreams of his mother often. A St. Joseph medallion and a brief demonic face. Reagan becomes violent. 
She is subjected to several medical tests, which fail to find literally any physical thing wrong with her. During a house call, a demon possesses Reagan's body. The possession of Reagan, uh, the possessed Reagan exhibits abnormal strength. One night, Chris finds the house empty except for a sleeping Reagan. Dennings is found dead at the foot of an outdoor staircase beneath Reagan's window. Homicide detective William Kinderman questions Karis, confining that Dennings' body was found with his head turned backwards. Mm. Reagan's conditions worsen, and her body becomes covered with sores. A doctor mentions exorcism as a remote option, suggesting a possible psychological benefit. Kinderman visits Chris, explaining that the only plausible explanation for Denning's death is that he was pushed from Reagan's window. As Kinderman leaves, the possessed Reagan stabs her genitals with a crucifix. Yeah, that was what this whole scene. Yeah, this whole scene is really fucked up. To Chris's horror, the possessed Reagan then turns her head backwards and speaks in Denning's voice. The possessed Reagan is confined to her bedroom. So this is also the scene where she shoves her mother her, in to her pussy that she just, I just. That she just stabbed. Uh, they call it, they refer to it as the masturbation scene, but it's more of a stabbing. Yeah. yeah. It's not great. Mm, yep. Mm-hmm. I will say uh, that was a body double. That was not Linda Blair in that scene. Uh, they use Linda Blair for most of the scenes, but that was one that they did have an adult that wasn't a, oh, <laughs> a child, good. and they didn't force her to do that scene. Oh, so, for anyone who is concerned, there was still irreparable damage done to Linda Blair. Don't worry. Oh. Chris seeks out Karis, who visits Reagan. Over two meetings, the possessed Reagan claims to be the devil himself. Projectile vomits into Karis's face, speaks into tongues, and reacts violently when tap water is sprinkled on her, which Karis had claimed was holy water. A point against genuine possession? The demon says it will remain in Reagan until she is dead. Desperate, Chris confines that the possessed Reagan killed Dennings. At night, Reagan's nanny calls Karis to the house. They witness the words, help me, materialize on Reagan's skin. Still ambivalent, Karis nevertheless concludes that the exorcism is warranted. His superior grants permission on one condition, that an experienced priest leads the ritual while Karis assists. Mirren, having performed an exorcism before, is summoned. Mirren arrives at the house, warning Karis that the demon uses a psychological attack. As the priests read from the Roman ritual, the demon curses them. It focuses on Karis, verbally attacking his loss of faith and guilt over the criticism of his mother's death. Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. Yeah, I love that one. That was a good one. It's a sidebar. It's really hard at this point because these movies have been ingrained in our pop culture and have been spoofed and satired so many times. We've talked about this before. It's kind of hard to take some of these scenes seriously because you've seen it on The Simpsons. You know what I mean? (laughs) The priests rest momentarily and Mirren, shaking, takes nitroglycerin. 
Please, Lord. Karis enters the bedroom where the demon appears as his mother. Showing weakness, Karis exclaims to the demon that he's not, you're not my mother, man. You're, you're not my, my mom. mom. <laughs> Karis assures Chris that Reagan will not die, even though he says it in a real, like, eh, sort of manner. <laughs> so, so he's like, oh, yeah, she's not going to die, sure. He re-enters the room, finding Mirren dead. Karis beats the possessed Reagan. <laughs> Maybe it's the nitroglycerin that he fucking took. <laughs> I know, right? So he's beating the possessed Reagan and demands Which that the de- I know fucking funny. He just is also you're like, he's beating the- a child. He's beating a child, and he a demands child with demon strength. But <laughs> he demands that the demon take him instead. The demon rips the medallion of Saint Joseph from Karis's neck and begins to possess him, freeing Reagan. Karis hurls himself out the window, tumbling down the stairs outside. Chris and Kinderman enter the room. Chris embraces the healed Reagan, and Kinderman surveys the violent and confusing scene. There's a lot going on in this bedroom. Yes. The McNeils prepare to leave, and Father Dyer says goodbye. Despite having no memory of her ordeal, Reagan is moved by the sight of Dyer's clerical collar. And decides to kiss him on the cheek. She's God, just she doesn't remember any of it. I know, right? Well, she's just repressed that shit. Oh, yeah. As the McNeils leave, Chris gives Dyer the medallion found in Reagan's room. And the director's cut ending, which I've also included, in 2000, there was a released version called The Version You've Never Seen or the extended director's cut. It was released. Mm-hmm. In the ending, it gives Chris... Um, uh, sorry, in this ending, when Chris gives Karis the medallion, when Chris gives Karis's medallion to Dyer, mm-hmm. Dyer places his back in her hand and suggests that she keep it. After she and Reagan drive away, Dyer pauses at the top of the stone steps before walking away and coming across to Kinderman, who narrowly missed Chris and Reagan's departure. Kinderman and Dyer begin to develop a friendship. Okay. So there's a slightly more optimistic tone. <laughs> kind of. There's a yeah. lot of death in this movie, though. Oh, yeah. Why should we give a shit? Bah, bah. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I got. What's the classic, classic tune from this movie? I don't know. We've just been watching so much John Carpenter. That's all that's in I my know, mind that, right now. Honestly, I can't really I'm give you anything lie. else. I'm not going to lie. I was giggling because all I can hear is the Halloween theme in my head. Yeah. But that's not what it is. No. But when I was watching the movie, it's definitely an iconic yeah. score. Mm, yep. For a movie that. I just got John Carpenter in here. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um. So you do know this is based on a novel written by. William Peter Blatty, right? I do now. And you know that novel's based on a real story, right? I do not. Okay, so aspects of Blatty's novel were inspired by a incident that happened in 1949. It's an exorcism performed on... It's called The Exorcism of Roland Doe most mm-hmm. of the time, if you see it online. Mm-hmm. But there's also another pseudonym of Robbie Ma- uh, Mannheim. Mm-hmm. 
this was an incident where two Jesuit priests, um, led by William S. Bodern, uh, went to a house in St. Louis and performed a rather horrific exorcism mm. on this boy. Who I mean, it went on for this exorcism literally went on for years. What? It's a whole big thing. How do you have an you can find years? I'm we're not gonna get into it. Okay. It's like a whole big thing, but you can find out about this online. It's well documented. So I please, please do that. It's interesting. It's a very fascinating story. Uh, last podcast on the left has talked about it a few times. So the novel changed several details of the case, okay. including the sex. So it was a boy, and now it's a girl. I wonder if that's to add more sympathy? You'd think. You'd think. And they also changed the age of the victim. It was a much younger child. Okay. It was like, I can't, I can't remember. He was like six or nine. Six or seven or something. Yeah, he was under the age of ten. It was pretty intense, man. And man, there there were some really insane names attached to this throughout the pre-production phase. Okay. So, Blatty's previous experience working in Hollywood as a writer for Blake Edward Films, the film studio had generally been uninterested in adapting The Exorcist before its publication. Lou Grade made a modest offer for the rights that Blatty later would have accepted due to his difficult financial circumstances. I mean, when you're desperate, you'll accept things. Yeah. Is that the plot to Sunset Boulevard? Mm-hmm. For the low amount, though, he did have a caveat that he would have to be an on-set producer. Shirley MacLaine, a close friend of Blatty, whom he had based the character of Chris O'Neill for the novel. He sent the script to her at one point using some things she had said in the past as dialogue. Um, he had been interested in using her to play Chris McNeil, mm -hmm. but she eventually uh, didn't want anything to do with the project. <laughs> he also wanted her to be a producer. She backed out of not only producing, but being in it as well. Mm -hmm. So... He became a co-producer with Paul Monahash eventually when um, McLean backed out. So other actresses that were considered for the Linda Blair role I thought were pretty interesting. Pamela Ferdin, a veteran of science fiction and supernatural dramas, was a candidate at one point, mm -hmm. but ultimately turned it down because she was, quote unquote, too familiar, too familiar for producers. Denise Nickerson, who had appeared in two roles previously, the horror soap Dark Shadows, and she was the original Violet Beauregard in okay, Willy Wonka okay. and the Chocolate Factory. You're turning Violet, Violet. Mm-hmm. Dude, Later, that would have been fucking terrifying to see her mm -hmm. in that and then see her in this. So she said later in interviews that her family refused to let her play the part because the film was too dark. Jamie Lee Curtis was also asked to audition, but her mother, Janet Lee, declined. Okay. And then I also, I posed that question earlier about summoning the devil. Mm -hmm. I posed that question because some of the research I did for this episode was 
for a from a docu series that we've mentioned before on the podcast mm-hmm. called Cursed Films on Shutter. And Cursed Films, whoo. This now I will say if you talk to any of the producers, they would say this film was not cursed. This film was blessed. Blessed with all the money. Mm-hmm. And they leaned <laughs> into like the weird demonic cursed rumors as PR tactics but there were some strange odd things that happened there were some people involved on the crew production side that passed away during filming there was a fire that destroyed basically all the sets except for Reagan's bedroom which is strange there were some strange things that happened you mentioned Changing the sex to get sympathy. And I want to go back to that because I find it fascinating. Linda Blair did not get sympathy. And a lot of horror film historians attribute the fact that it was a little girl versus a little boy. And it made her more vulnerable that made her more vilified. Because people just didn't think of her as a girl who got possessed. They thought of her as the devil. Mm-hmm. And they went out of their way to vilify not just Reagan, the character, but Linda Blair, the person, as a little girl. And that was really hard for That's her. fucked up. Yeah. So, I mean, living life in Hollywood, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, Tell me. This was your first watch through, which, again, I, I think remember- is pretty spectacular that's a special moment i do remember too because we watched the cursed films uh documentary essentially of this and when we when i was watching it i remembered that scene where she's getting thrown back and forth on her bed and she's screaming for her mother that that was those were crew who were like pulling her around on this like harness with ropes and it like fucked up her back uh, yeah it broke her spine um she still has problems with her back to this day and the cries in the movies are her real her real screams of agony that they use there are a couple of moments where it's her in genuine pain and fright that they use in the movie which is a, is this is this for art that we at this that we've point seen you know before like what was it a uh, Kramer versus Kramer yep yeah when he's uh, Dennis Hoffman slapped Meryl Streep or going back to when we watched or Dustin Hoffman oh yeah what I say Dennis Hoffman yeah Dustin Hoffman Dennis Hoffman <laughs> <laughs> the lesser known uh, Dennis Hoffman. the stepbrother of. <laughs> Or going back to when we watched Wizard of Oz, the horrific treatment of Judy Garland on that set. She also got physically abused a couple of times and all the drugs they were pumping in her. They're like, here, you won't feel it. Yeah. Uh, Yay, making movies, you guys. It's magical. magical. Yeah. Just don't go into it as a child. I think that's the lesson. Oh, for sure. As an adult, you know. Sometimes like, um, I this guess hurts. We need to stop. But I guess too, it's hard to tell people to stop if a that's the scene you're looking for, and b you're getting whipped around so much, no one can hear you. Yeah, it just hurts my heart. 
Well, then there's the whole thing of like, where are the parents? Like, are they on, on set? set? When this yeah, is happening? yeah, they are. Her mother was there. Do they there. know when to stop it? You know, but. it's tragic. Well, so they described her at first when they were going through all the tests. They were trying. The doctors were trying to find a scientific reason for her mania, as it were, or hysteria, as it's often referred to for women. And they described it as a lesion in the temporal lobe. And so the temporal lobe lesion may cause various symptoms, forgetfulness, problems with speech and language, under, like understanding, mostly in understanding others, uh, and vision problems. Also, quote, fits, a.k.a. seizures. Uh, it, if, it's, if the lesion occurs on the left side, it decreases, it, it creates a decreased recall of verbal and visual components okay and if it happens on the right side it creates decreased recognition of tonal sequences and musical abilities so it's the whole right side left side of your brain okay uh so and then i was wondering what what's the cause and they say the most common cause is CVE, which is space-occupying lesions, which may be primary brain tumors. And they did a bunch of tests, and there weren't any brain tumors. Okay, fun, fun, fun fact about the test scene. Did you know that there's an actual serial killer in that scene? What? So the guy that's performing that, like, iodine test, like he's giving her the shot. Yeah. They're going to stick her in the little machine yeah um he went on to kill some people fuck yeah he like was in the medical profession because everyone in that scene was working at that hospital and they just asked them to do this scene so he was working at this hospital and he wanted to be on camera but he was also he also killed some people yeah fuck before after probably both both (laughs) both yikes (laughs) okay i wanted to talk about the fact too that if this if there were any black people in this movie it would have been a totally different movie i would agree with you enter in the blackcercist the (laughs) blackcercist are you gonna remake this movie well, okay, first and foremost, I was thinking about when Reagan comes down the stairs and she starts pissing on the carpet and they just watch her. Like any, <laughs> your mother any, would be up. I was like any ethnic parent would have been like, "What the fuck are you doing, young woman?" Like, like you're all it's it's nope. What did she say? You're all going to fucking die or something like that. You'd be like, "The fuck you say?" And then her ass would be whooped. Probably beat the demon out of her. There would be a grabbing by the wrist, and then the jerking, and then the spanking, and then get up to the fucking bathroom, clean your fucking shit. And then it'd be like, I'm, I'm demon, I'm possessed. And it'd be like, I'm gonna slap the demon out of you. That's what it would be. Yeah. Yep. It would be. It would be a lot shorter of a film. Let's say <laughs> it would be a lot shorter. Or I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I think it would be a lot shorter. There would either people either be people noping out. Or telling people how it was. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> uh, honestly, I just feel like more black people in horror movies would have greatly different outcomes. Yeah. The naivete of the first. white people is why we get horror movies. And that's why black people always die first. The wisdom goes with <laughs> Exactly. 
Okay, also I want to talk about demon gear. They went yeah. into that bedroom, right? They knew more or less some of the tricks of her, what some of the tricks she had up her sleeve. At least Father Marin did it. Right? Vomiting on people, shooting it for the eyes. Like, they needed, are you telling me they need a rubber suit? Because I've always thought they needed to be they wearing need fucking like- fucking face shields. Yeah. They need face shields because she's like- right Hazmat there, suits. Like, yeah, hazmat suits. Fucking protective cups because she's obviously perverse and going to go for your junk. Like, just go in there, suit it up in your demon Steel-toed gear. Steel-toed shoes. Make yeah. sure when that bed is jostling around, if it lands on your foot, it's not going to break your toes. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way we're thinking here. This is a new... Right? We're upgrading. We need to write the For Catholic sure. Church. A camelback of holy water? Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yes. Exactly. Yes. We're going to See, this revamp. is what would be in the Black Sorcist. They would have more gear. They'd be like, we need some shit to deal with this demon. <laughs> be like, okay, you spit at me once, shame on you. Spit at me twice. Bitch, I will cut we're you. We're going to have a problem. Yeah, no. Oh, my God. Uh, you wanted to talk about the large statue of Pazuzu. Oh, thanks for reminding me. So in that Cursed Films docuseries, they talked to an actual anthropologist. They, an they were going to say they talked to an actual Pazuzu. <laughs> No, they talked to an actual anthropologist, and she said, traditionally, the demon of Pazuzu would never have been such a large statue like that. Mm -hmm. Because it's such a powerful demon, its representations are small. They're size of something that could easily fit in your pocket or your mm -hmm. purse. So More you of a can totem care. or a token. Correct. Most of the... The tokens for Pazuzzi, 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 Pazuzzi is his girlfriend. <laughs> Pazuzzi are very tiny because it's just too much power to put in such a large statue like that. So that statue we see in the movie is not particularly accurate to time and history. It's That's good more to know. for the movie. It's big and scary. Oftentimes, too, things that were larger were, like, made by man. Things for deities, yes, they were supposed to be, like, larger than life. But a lot of times, like, oftentimes, like, there was statues with comically large penises. And that wasn't supposed to be, like, oh, look at his dick, like most people might think today. It was, like, oh, it's a gag. It's a joke. Exactly. I think that in your history telling of the devil and his appearances throughout time. Maybe he was just tired. He or she was just tired of being a joke. And <laughs> was like, okay, I got to step up my game a little bit. I'm into that. Yeah, I agree to that. <laughs> People are making fun of me. I got to fucking put an end to that. Oh my God, that's so fucking funny. Just don't bully. That's what the lesson is. Don't bully people. Agreed. And then you won't get mayhem. Life lessons from required viewing. Oh, we're going to be dishing out some more <laughs> as we move through. Speaking of moving through, are you ready? For the omen. For the omen. There's a lot of dramatic music that I can't really replicate <laughs> vocally. Like, I'm not a, a, a John Williams orchestra. It's really hard to try to verbally do this, some of this stuff, but... There's some really kick-ass music in this, too, I highly suggest. Here we go. American Diplomat Robert Thorne, played by Gregory Peck and his wife, Drool. Kathleen. So Sorry. fucking hot. Drool, dude. This, oh, okay, daddy sidebar. vibes. Woo. Fucking sidebar. Gregory Peck and Cary Grant are, like, on hot. the same level. Hot. hot. There's so many T's. On the RVP hot list. Woo. <laughs> 
I've always had a huge crush on Gregory Peck. Oh, me too. Cape Fear, this movie. There's a phenomenal. To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, that was is my one introduction. Of my, mo- of my introduction as well. I think too, there's a there's a phenomenal book out there on how Gregory Pe- Gregory Peck and his wife were fashion icons and they hosted some of the greatest art in the world. I can't remember exactly. But He's stunning. Anyway, yeah. we're just makes you want Gregory to drool Peck, for him more. Too much. Calm down. <laughs> Sit on some ice. Chill out. <laughs> Sit on some ice. Put on a diaper. We're gonna be Mop okay. Up the floor. So Robert Thorne and his wife Kathy are living in Rome, where she gives birth to a little baby boy who dies the hospital chaplain father spaghetto (laughs) did you like that it's from rome he's italian (laughs) he persuades robert to secretly adopt a baby whose mother has just died in childbirth switcheroo a changeling as we should say i was totally thinking about that i was like didn't we just talk about this yeah we did Robert does not tell Kathy that the child is not their own. Because the priest was like, we don't have to tell her, no. It's, it's a, it's a secret. It's a secret. Yeah, I know. It was very Italian in the way he did. This is a new bambino. You don't need to think. You don't need, a, you don't need an older bambino. He's a new one. Don't tell, don't tell your, don't tell your, uh, I forget what wife is in Italian, but don't tell your lady. Amore. That's your love. <laughs> yeah. They named this child Damien. Ruining the name Damien forever. <laughs> well, Damien was the name of the priest in The Exorcist. Correct. But after this movie, he became associated with the tiny Antichrist. Interesting. They flipped the script yeah. on that one. Five years later, Robert is the ambassador to the United Kingdom when mysterious events plague the thorns. A menacing Rottweiler appears at their home. Damien's nanny publicly hangs herself during his fifth birthday party. It's all for you, Damien. Look at me. I'm going to scar you, all the children, for the rest of their lives. That's such a great scene, too, because it's all just reaction shots, and the kids are like, I don't give a fuck. Let's go on this pony somewhere. (laughs) That's like, that's the scariest part of that scene is fucking the nonchalantness of all the fucking children. I mean, that's the greatest part of that shot is just that they cut away to just right. reactions and you still feel it. The new nanny, Mrs. Baylock, arrives unannounced. Damien violently resists entering a church and Damien's presence terrifies animals at a wildlife park. Father Brennan warns Robert about Damien's origins, hinting that he's not human. <laughs> and insists that Robert take communion. He tells Robert that Damien is the son of Satan and that Kathy is pregnant and that he will kill his unborn sibling and parents unless he dies himself. Later, Brennan is killed by a falling pole. Kathy tells Robert that she wants an abortion, which he opposes because, duh, he's Catholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damien knocks Kathy over a railing onto the floor below, injuring her and causing a miscarriage, also completely fucking up her body. Yeah. Photographer Keith Jennings notices shadows and photographs of the nanny and the father before the passage of their deaths. Keith shows Robert the photos along with news clippings and biblical passages that suggest the coming of the Antichrist. He accompanies Robert to Rome to investigate Damien's birth. They learn that a fire destroyed Kathy's maternity records and killed the staff on duty. 
They find Father Spigelto. Did you like that one? Mm -hmm. In a monastery, mute, blind in one eye, and partially paralyzed. He has not had a good life post Damien's birth. Karma, dude. It's been a hard five years for this guy. He directs them to the cemetery where Damien's biological mother is buried. In Damien's mother's grave, Robert and Keith find a jackal carcass. And in the next plot, a child skeleton with a shattered skull. Robert realizes that the jackal is Damien's mother and the child is his own murdered son. That was killed up. so Damien could take his place. A pack of Rottweilers. This is a, also not a great movie for, for the breed of yeah. Rottweilers. <laughs> not a great effort for no. them. A pack of Rottweilers drives Robert and Keith from the cemetery. Robert calls Kathy in the hospital to tell her she gotta get out of there. Dude, she's like fucking in a cat. Like a uh, well, everything cast. is in a cast. Yeah, she can't <laughs> move like, you very gotta get well. Out. She's like, well. I can't move very yeah. quickly. She's got to not just leave the hospital, leave London. Before she can do so, Mrs. Baylock throws her from the hospital window down to her death. A lot of heights. A lot of throwing people from windows in mm -hmm. this movie. Robert and Keith meet Antichrist expert Carl Buegehagen. We're going to have very European names in this movie. Mm-hmm. Carl says that if Damien is the true Antichrist, he will bear the birthmark in the shape of the three sixes. Carl gives Robert seven daggers to which he must kill Damien with on hollowed ground. This is very specific instructions. Mm -hmm. He needed to write them down. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a manual. Yeah, you'd think he'd be like, here, the manual comes Here's with the, the Yeah, here you go. It's all wrapped together <laughs> in a little bag. The scroll is wrapped Here's your murder knives. kit. Yeah. Go murder your child. Afterwards, Keith is decapitated by a sheet of glass. Robert finds a birthmark on a sleeping Damien's scalp and is attacked by Mrs. Baylock, whom he stabs to death. Armed with the daggers, Robert drives Damien to a th cathedral. To a cathedral. His erratic driving draws the attention of the police. Dumbass. <sighs> Robert drags a screaming Damien onto the altar to stab him, but is shot to death by the police before he can do so. The double funeral of Kathy and Robert is attended by the U.S. President and First Lady, who have Damien with them. They now have a dot. It's now being alluded to that the president has adopted Damien. Damien then turns to the camera and smiles. Smiling into many terrible sequels. Also, not a good, uh, not a good movie for bowl cuts. No, mm -mm. Mm -mm. or Angus Young lookalikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why should we give a shit? Because this movie kicks ass. I'm so glad you love this movie, it's Gregory got Peck. Gregory fucking Peck. That's why we should give a shit. Yeah, Gregory Sexy. Peck. Mm. Hands down. Uh. That scene where he's running with Damien and then they fall down the stairs and he obviously has a child dummy with him, but he's like yeah. falling onto the dummy. Yes. <laughs> he's definitely squishing like, the child. I was like, well, if you don't have to worry about killing that kid now, just apparently those steps do plenty. <laughs> Use your house. That house is apparently just a big old He should have just shop. chucked that kid off the side. He Out should... the window? Well, 
either out the window or off the railing like he did to Kathy because it seemed pretty effective to her. You could weaken him a bit so yeah. he's not going to fight you as much when yeah. you have to put seven knives in him. Yeah, you could, yeah. In specific places, no less. Now we're talking about murdering a child. Well, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking about murdering the Antichrist who's only had about five or six years to age. Have you? Well, you've never seen this one, so you've definitely never seen the sequels. But the sequels are pretty interesting. Are they good? I said they were interesting. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, this has like the all-time most epic death in it. There There's are many, many deaths, but I'm gonna call out the one that I think is like the most epic. Okay. Go for it. Which one? Fucking Keith Jennings, the photographer, getting decapitated okay, by a so fucking sheet of glass. I wanted to talk about that death specifically. I guess we'll talk. We'll skip. I was going to talk about this at the end like it did with the last film. But this is another film that has a lot of cursed stories that go along with it. Mm-hmm. So the one of the production assistant's girlfriend got decapitated during the filming on Omen Road in almost identical manner as what happened in the film. That's freaky. Correct. Also, Gregory Peck and another actor both had their planes struck by lightning. I do remember that. And Gregory Peck actually had two plane incidents. Uh, multiple people died during the production besides that girl. It was just kind of a crazy filming and people were really nervous. Gregory Peck actually wanted to get out of filming. He was really uncomfortable um, on the set. Things things got weird. Things got weird. But it was a good movie. It was a great movie. <laughs> it's totally worth the weird. And, you know, slight nervousness about their personal safety (laughs) i just really like the connection between the like photo negatives and where like just these streaks of where they're going to get like predictions almost of where they're cool right and then of course the person who found that out of course has to die because he found out the secret also couldn't do that with digital photography Mm -mm. it would not work not the same kind of jam So according to producer Harvey Bernhardt, the idea of the motion picture came about after the Antichrist came up in a discussion about the Bible with Bob Munger, a friend of Bernhardt's. When Munger told him about the idea in 1973, the producer immediately contacted screenwriter David Seltzer and hired him to write a screenplay. It took a year for Seltzer to write the script. Now, Bernhardt claims that Gregory Peck had been his obvious only choice to play the ambassador from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Peck got involved with the project through his agent, who was a friend and uh, also a producer, and knew Bernhardt. So after reading the script, Peck reportedly liked the idea, and he liked that it was more of a psychological thriller rather than like a slasher horror film. Mm-hmm. And so he agreed to star in it. He was at first displeased with the props and the effects making the death scenes, but then was relieved to find how restrained and non-exploitive they were in the final film. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't really get the gist until you see it all at the end. I mean, a head spinning 
while the body falls and crashes into the back window. But when you see that little scene, when you see it cut from the movie, it does look kind of ridiculous and silly. Mm -hmm. But in the context of the film, it's really fucked up and jarring. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Because you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, you know he's going to die. Exactly. You just don't know when, and you just so don't quite know they're how. they're just showing Gregory little bits and pieces, and so he thought it looked kind of stupid and silly, but then within the context of the whole, whole film, it worked. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to see the whole thing. Yeah. You got to put but all yeah. the pieces together. Dude, I'm so glad you love this movie. It's such a crazy fucking trip. They've remade it a bunch of times. There have been two other remakes. There was know, a more recent Gregory remake. Gregory Peck. I was about to say Gregory Peck was in none of them, so no Gregory Peck. Yeah, if he so barely wanted worth to it. do this one, he did definitely wouldn't want to do another one. This Plus, was... his character died. Oh God, I love this movie so much. I just can't even. I love it. It's so good. And they said too that the Antichrist was going to come up through politics, which was crazy. There was a TV show too. There was. Mm-hmm. This story I did not is had. Many iterations. This was the only one that matters. That's why it's required viewing. Correct. We mean, we're not going to give you crap. We give you the good stuff. Exactly. You got anything else on? Uh, you got any questions, concerns? Did you sleep through the night? Yeah, I slept fine. Yeah, these movies aren't... The movie I watched last night creeped me out much more than those two. Okay, cool. Yeah. They they aged. They're not... We're desensitized. That's when you were like... That's what I was saying, because back in the day, you heard people were fainting and running out of the theater and throwing up from, like, The Exorcist. A lot of that is PR stuff. yeah. Yeah, it's all bullshit. I mean, I'm sure there were people that were, like, the fucking stabbing genitals scene with the crucifix. That probably... Fucked some people up. A oh, definitely. Back then, definitely. And then she shoves her mother's face in it. So, <laughs> also shout out to Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, for sure. Incredible performance. Mm-hmm. That should have won more Oscars. But as we talked about through a lot of this series, the Oscars, the Academy, they didn't really give a shit about horror movies until more recent years. So, well, you realize it has. It takes a sharp mind to creep you out. Truly, correct. It's not just about jump scares. Exactly. And- Gore. Are you ready to get into John Carpenter? Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. John Carpenter. Our best John Carpenter music. Prince of Darkness, rounding out our John Carpenter Apocalypse series. We have now watched them all. The thing. In the Mouth of Madness. I blanked on that one for two seconds. And then here we are with Prince of Darkness. A Catholic priest. Well, it would be Prince of... We're doing Prince of Darkness. But Prince of Darkness came before In the Mouth of Madness. Because that was in the Correct. 90s. Correct. Correct. But I'm just saying in the context of what we watched so far. Correct. That's how we watch them. But you're right. It's a flip-flop. So this movie. Picture it. A Catholic priest. Again. <laughs> We've got a theme here, a lot of Catholic priests. Well, if you're talking about one, you inevitably have to talk about the other, right? So a Catholic priest invites quantum quantum physicist Professor Howard Barrick and his students to join him in the basement of a Los Angeles monastery belonging to the, quote, 
brotherhood of sleep, an old order who communicate through dreams. The priest requires their assistance in investigating a mysterious, a mysterious cylinder containing a swirling green liquid with a lot of glitter <laughs> and black lights. <laughs> I love this movie so much. Among the 13 academics present are wise-cracking Walter Fong, demure Kelly, the highly-strung Susan Cabot, and the lovers Brian Marsh and Catherine Danforth. They decipher text found next to the cylinder, which describes the liquid as corporeal embodiment of Satan, which... Just think about that for a second. <laughs> Satan's a tube of goo. Sit on I that mean, one. You can be a lot of things, but glitter goo to- is not glitter my goo. go-to. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The team also learned that Jesus Christ was executed for hearsay after trying to warn the people of Earth about the vessel in which Satan was trapped. The liquid is then discovered to be sentient. Again, goo. It's Satan goo. The academics. It's like Satan flubber. It. Oh my God! It is Satan flubber. That's exactly right. This is Satan flubber. Satan flubber. Satan flubber with a little bit of glitter added. The academics. Oh my God! The academics use a computer to analyze the books surrounding it, and find that they. They included differential equations. Over a period of two days, small jets of liquid escape from the cylinder. Members of the group exposed to the liquid become possessed by the entity and attack the others. The first victim is Susan, who begins killing off the other ones one by one, after which they become possessed as well. Mm Mm-hmm. We're getting sprayed. Yeah. Yep. Everyone's mouth is open. Spray goo. Yep. Anyone who attempts to flee the monastery is killed by the growing mass of enthralled homeless people who have been surrounding the building, led by a homeless Alice Cooper. Why is Alice Cooper Uh, homeless? Yeah. I was like, we don't know. Well, of course, John Carpenter does the world's longest opening credits. Always. And so I was like, Alice Cooper. He rivals Roman Polanski when oh, it comes to yeah. o- lengthy opening credits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Fucking 100% agreed. <laughs> like the ninth gate, you're like, Jesus Christ. All go, right. Go make your dinner during the opening <laughs> credits. By the time you're done, the credits will also be done. Jesus. Oh so Professor Barrick and the priests theorize that Satan is actually the offspring of the anti-god. I never understood that. AKA Antichrist? Yeah. Or is it, well, if no, you think it's of Christ anti-god. As, so yeah, if you think of Christ and God as mm-hmm. separate in this case. Even more powerful force of evil bound to the realm of antimatter. The survivors find themselves sharing a recurring dream. A Tekion transmission sent as a warning from the future year, 1999, also known as 1999. I know, I know. <laughs> Fucking assholes. That is exactly what Rob said. He was like, why don't you just say 1999? I know. It's really... Anyway, just be along for the ride. Moving on. <laughs> The hazy transmission changes slightly with each occurrence of the dream, revealing progressively more and more details. 
The narration of the transmission each time in each time instructs the dreamer that they are witnessing an actual broadcast from the future. Walter, trapped in a closet, witnessing the possessed bringing the cylinder to a sleeping Kelly. It opens itself and the remaining liquid transfuses to Kelly's body, causing her to become the physical vessel of Satan. A gruesomely disfigured being with powers of telekinesis and regeneration. Yeah, she looked real gross. Kelly attempts. Uh, I'm getting a lot of. I get a lot of evil dead vibes from. I was getting the possession of these people. Yeah, yeah. I can feel that. I was getting some uh, Terminator vibes. I also feel that. I get that. Kelly attempts to summon the anti god through dimensional portal using a mirror. The mirror is too small, however, and the effect fails. The rest of the while the rest of the team is occupied fighting the possessed, Kelly finds a larger wall mirror and draws the anti god's hand through it. Catherine, the only one free to act, free to act, tackles Kelly, causing both of them to fall through the portal. The priest then shatters the mirror with an axe, trapping Kelly and the anti god and Catherine in the other realm. Catherine is seen briefly on the other side of the mirror, reaching out to the portal before it closes. Immediately, the possessed die. The street people just fucking wander away. Yeah, you just said they get just off fucking leave. They're done. And the survivors, which are Brian, Walter, the professor, and the priest, are then rescued. Brian has a recurring dream again, and now sees that Catherine is apparently possessed. And is the figure emerging from the church. Brian awakens and finds Kelly, seemingly Satan's vessel, lying in bed with him. This is shown to be another dream. A dream within a dream within a dream within a dream. It's one of those scenes. Carpenter favorite. Yep. And he awakens screaming. Rising, he approaches his bedroom mirror, hand outstretched the final scene going black just before he touches the mirror and more john carpenter music i was gonna say more music (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's basically it that was it you got it yeah on the nose perfect because i remember i write your john carpenter score i always like to why we should give a shit this movie why we should give a shit everything john carpenter always i always like to see which scores I can pull out of the other scores. Cause there's, like I said in the, in a few episodes ago, there's three of them, maybe four that are all mixed together and sometimes isolated. Don't, don't say that though. Don't tell him that. No, he's a classic. Not. We don't they're need to know that he only has like four chords and they're all original. <laughs> Dude, this has a really epic fucking cast in it. Like super epic. We got Donald Pleasance. If you don't know who Donald Pleasance is, he's the main police officer in Halloween. He's used in a lot of John Carpenter movies. He's also a wonderful theatrical actor. We've got Victor Wong as Victor the professor. Wong. Jameson Parker as Brian. Louisa Blount as Catherine. Dennis Dunn. Another appearance by Dennis Dunn. Uh, Walter instead of Wang. Mm-hmm. This time we like <laughs> W names still for him. A, still a what? Susan Blanchard as Kelly, Anne Howard as Susan, Anne Yen as Lisa, Ken Wright as Lomax. I'm sorry, I take it back, you don't look Asian. And uh, Alice Cooper as Street Schizo. <laughs> I noticed his, In, his, credit, his credit. 
credit was Street Schizo. Street Schizo. He didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. I wonder how much he got paid to just show up and look like he normally does on right? like a normal Sunday afternoon. And pretend to rip off people's <laughs> arms and shit. Just like, okay, Alice Cooper. Whatever, bro. Um, so Carper, Par- Carpenter became inspired while researching theoretical physics and atomic theory because okay. <laughs> that's also what he does in his spare time. Mm-hmm. He recalled... I thought it would be interesting to create some sort of ultimate evil and combine it with the notion of matter and antimatter. End quote. This said, <laughs> Okay. Alrighty. This idea, which eventually would he would develop into the screenplay for Prince of Darkness, was to be the first of a multi-picture deal with a live pictures where Carpenter was allocated three million per picture and complete creative control. That is the bing, bang, boom right there. Basically, too, it's got most of the, well, not most, but like a good chunk of the cast from Big Trouble in Little China, in addition to some of the musical chords. Yeah, he has a lot of, like, his faves in this one, so. And what's his butt, the la- like, the main mustachey dude who lost his boo? Uh, can we just talk about their meet cute? Yeah. And the most awful things that he said, whether he was joking or not, his cadence of joking was awful. It was He's the a 80s. Proud feminist and I'm a well, no, he said I'm a, pr- a proud sexist and damn proud of it or something like yeah, that. He's an asshole. She was saying he was saying all the wrong things, and she was like, "Okay, I'm gonna leave now." And then she still ended up fucking him. But that guy could have been a lot hotter without the 80s stash. Agreed. Agreed. Because he was like cut. He was like blonde and cute, but that mustache ruined everything. Some and you people, know what works, man. You know work. I like a good mustache. Yeah, and this one was not. This good. was not a good mustache. Not good. This was not Take good. it off. You'll be a lot hotter. Uh, sure. Can we also talk about the fact that she could have just pushed her into the mirror portal? One hundred percent. She didn't need to go with her. She she mm. wasn't paying attention. You just mm. oof, one push. Suicide mission. She yeah. was an idiot. Now, all these people were stupid. For as book Maybe. smart as they were, they were all fucking idiots. Well, they were book smart, but they were life stupid. That's the problem. <laughs> And maybe she knew that that guy was going to propose to her and he would never shave off his mustache. And And so so she had to go to a demon dimension to get away from the mustache, dude. (laughs) Yeah. And into the future. Fucking hell. His name was Brian. Yeah, of course it's Brian. That's another problem. Of course his name is Brian. 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 All right, Brian. Fuck you, Brian. Okay, you want to know my number one qualm with this movie? Like your number one qualm? My number one qualm. All right, go for it. Well, I think the thing is like my far, by far my favorite and then In the Mouth of Madness and then Prince of Darkness. I think they're in order of how I like them, how I've watched them. All right. But my biggest qualm in this movie in Prince of Darkness is why does everyone have their fucking mouths open? Yeah. Everyone that gets sprayed is like, oh my God, and they all get sprayed in the mouth. It's also been my problem with this movie. You're every a scientist, don't you know? A, aren't you? Why aren't you wearing masks? Some gear? Yeah. Masks. Why are we not wearing masks and hazmat uh, suits around this green fucking goo? safety glasses? Yeah. Why are there no gloves? Why is your what mouth hanging fuck? open after you see that they're starting to spew green goo from their face? You run away. You don't go ah and like leave your mouth open for ten million years. We're different people in a post-COVID world, dude. I think, yeah, maybe that's what it is. We think about I mean, things even, a little differently. I feel like even pre-COVID, I'd be like, close your fucking mouth. <laughs> it would bother me. 
still bothers me. Yeah, also close your fucking mouth. When they got possessed, and I was like, that's what you get for not closing your fucking mouth. It's fucking nasty. Like, shield Uh, your face. The devil. There was no cursed films information on this one. This was not a part of the cursed films. It was films, a John, John Carpenter. It was a John Carpenter special really moment. Don't really make it on onto cursed films. No, but that's okay. It, his films don't need to be cursed. Prince they of were Dark cursed Days. with having bad box offices. Yeah, well, they always came out in conjunction with other big box offices. Also, hits. John Carpenter mm-hmm. is. How should I put this? He's a, he, he's not for everybody. He's an acquired taste. Yes, that's what I wanted to say. Exactly. He's not everyone's cup of tea. But we so, fucking love him here. Some people love him. <laughs> some people don't. We love him. Anyway, that's all I got for uh, this week. I'm glad that you got to see three completely new... Okay, well, here's how I kind of want to end this. As a whole... For our spooky season. Did you, what What did you take away with the history of horror? And what was your favorite new watch? I really liked, oh, that's a hard one. Well, because we also watched Madam Satan speaking with, uh, on Ballyhoo Review. Speaking we did. of. But there wasn't our, a lot of our, Satan in I know, Madam that was Satan. your number one qualm with that movie was there was not enough Satan. And every, that was emphasized with a clap stomp i believe whatever you said i was very upset uh i really liked the omen of all the movies that we watched the whole season long that you know that's hard because i like a lot of them but i what i my takeaway from everything was hollywood exploits a lot which i already knew that yes and it's always a different version of the truth it's like a tele game of telephone yeah, that's that's Every, a good takeaway. Everything gets transcribed differently, whether it's because people didn't understand or people couldn't fucking read or people changed it for their own evil intentions or evil inclinations. Yeah, man. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's kind of my takeaway from it, because over the as we've been learning over the history of Halloween, it's changed throughout and been more commercialized, obviously. Absolutely. But even the pumpkins, the thing that we all associate with Halloween explicitly almost, it's not the original thing that we know about it. Yep. Which is why our Halloween special, I also feel, was informative because we got to learn a lot about what it actually is instead of just being like, woo, candy, who is Yeah. Oh, Candies and, and booty booty shorts. Yeah. I always, sexy, sexy all the girls holiday. that are fucking cold. Because it's always going to be cold on Halloween. Bitch, put some pants on. It's almost November. It's the end of October. It's always frosty and frigid, and they're always shivering. Like, I love horror movies. I love Halloween. I feel like the horror genre is a really fabulous genre that spans a lot and can say a lot. It can be funny. It can be dramatic. It can be truly scary. It can make you think. I feel like it is a lot more far-reaching than your plain old dramas. Like, who wants to sit down and watch Atonement? Not me. (laughs) That shit's sad. But I'll watch The Omen. That's great. Dude, I still haven't watched 12 Years a Slave. I'm still working up to it. I was 12. It's been 12 years for me. I was slaving away. (laughs) To see that shit. Seriously, yeah. It's probably been 12 years of trying to see that movie. Yeah. All right. Well... 
Uh, we're going to have a Thanksgiving special here coming up. And then we're going to start kicking stuff off with some Christmas Miss Miss. So I guess actually uh, yeah. this is the end. So our next episode after our Thanksgiving special would be our animation Christmas episode. So oh. do we want do we want to announce? I mean, we have a pretty exclusive guest coming on the podcast. I mean, I feel like we should tell people. We should. We should at word, least right? get some excitement. Okay. Well, I mean, he would hate it, but he would hate it. Uh, would, I may have to. I pulled some strings. I know some people. I sold some souls. I got the Grinch. We got the Grinch. Got the Grinch. The Grinch, the Grinch is going to be on our next episode. And we are watching what movies, Chloe? Well, the Grinch is going to be here, but it's a two-parter, right? We Don't we have two guests? We do. We have the Grinch, but I mean, I can't afford to have him for the whole episode. He's pretty pricey. Yeah. He's kind of an exclusive dude. So I also asked my friend... Matt Marbeck, who's an actor here in town, and he and I have worked on a few films together. Um, he will be wrapping up the animation episode with us next week. So the films are, drumroll, Chloe. We are watching A Charlie Brown Christmas, 1965. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 1966. Of course. we had to. I mean, we were already planning on it, so it was it was in the it was in the cards. That's how that we sold it to the Grinch to get him. We said we would be talking about him. Oh yeah, that's how I got him to come on. Yeah, he's a he's a big narcissist. I would yes, say yes, absolutely. And we're gonna be capping it off with the Christmas horror flick, The Polar Express, <laughs> from two thousand and four. <laughs> I say Christmas yes. horror because it fucking haunts it's everyone's terrifying. dreams. And yes, we will talk about the Uncanny Valley. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Well, I am looking forward to it. F don't forget to follow us on social media. Aaron Moline Official at everything. The Require Viewing Podcast at everything. Chloe Riggs makes things at I everything. do make he things. He makes so many things. Um, and until next time, dear viewers, happy viewing. Happy viewing and merry movie miss. <laughs> Hello. This is required viewing. This has been a required viewing network production. Thank you to our producer, Michael Murray, social media manager, Chloe Riggs, and showrunner, Aaron Mullane, as well as an additional thank you to our guest contributors.